Good evening and welcome to Relationship Game Changers. We appreciate you. We love you. We thank you so much for spending your valuable time with us this evening. And um, here at Relationship Game Changers, if is if excuse me, if this is your first time with us, we teach, preach, and pray those truths and principles that are applicable to every kingdom citizen, regardless of gender, race, marital status, position, title. Uh, we believe that God is calling for a kingdom people that look and behave like their big brother Jesus and their soon-to-be groom or groomsman or husband. And so we're focusing on those things that would develop the bride uh, for his inevitable return. And so we're thankful that you are a part of us and with us tonight. And, and uh, typically I would give some review of where we've been, but um, it's just I just really just sense the Spirit of God breathing uh, on this word tonight and you know, it's kind of like um, it's it's a it's a good word. It's uh, an it's an exciting, it's a challenging word, and it is a sobering word. But I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to the church in this hour, and this word is is pivotal. And how you respond to this word is. Um, Certainly, each one's free will, but how we respond to this word will determine where we go with God from here. Let me say that again. How we respond to this word will determine where we go with God, where God is able to take us is a result of our response to this word. So God is looking for a response, and so I just want to pray and jump into this word um, uh, and, and we'll go from there. Father, we just thank you and we praise you. Lord, I just thank you that you have been, Lord, just marinating your words in me. And I thank you and I praise you, Father God, that not only uh, have you given me word, you've made me a word to your people, God. I thank you, Lord, and I count it a privilege, God, to know you in the power of your resurrection, and yea, even in those times of suffering, God. I thank you and I praise you that you've given me the grace, and many others on this line, the grace to go through and endure hardship for the sake of your kingdom. Now, Father God, as we make ourselves available to you tonight, we thank you for cleansing us. We thank you for purifying us. We thank you and we bless your holy name tonight. We just magnify you. We're just so thankful. We thank you, Lord. I thank you that the spirit of the living God is hovering with us in the living room of God tonight, the living room of God tonight, the living room of God tonight. And so, Father, I thank you that you, it's your presence that's make this room, that makes this room, this space living. And so, Lord, we thank you for all of those that are pulling up a chair, Lord, reclining, Lord, at your word tonight, Father God. Now, we just praise you and we thank you for manifesting your glory and, Lord, for speaking, Lord, for speaking, for speaking to the hearing of your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been talking about becoming the word of God. We have said over and over that it is not sufficient. It is no longer acceptable of a kingdom citizen just to declare and decree the word of God. We must become the word of God. And we talked about and looked at that from the perspective of Jesus and how Jesus has named and, and defined himself in terms that we could all understand. And we talked about him uh, or, or just looked at his life and where in John 6.35 he spoke of himself as the bread of life. In John 8.12 he called himself the light of the world. And then in um, John 10.7 uh, he said he's a door for the sheep. And so all of these things are things that you and I can relate to easily. And in every culture, in every language, we all understand bread, we all understand light, and we all understand what a door is. And so tonight, I want to speak to you about another word 
another name, another definition that Jesus gives himself. And while all of them are important, I believe this is a critical, critical for us to embrace as Jesus embraces and declares himself. And he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what I want to focus on tonight is I am the truth. And one of the reasons I like the book of John is because it's probably for me, it is the only book of the Gospels that puts the deity of God on display in fullness and and the humanity on display in fullness. So you have them working together, sometimes side by side, but you see the full interaction between the divine nature and Jesus's uh, uh, innocent human nature, and you see what it was supposed to be like and what God wants it to be like for us now. And in no other gospel do we see a human being like us living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So you and I must not only be content with declaring the word of God, we must become it. Because when we don't become what we declare, there is a word called hypocrisy. And so when we are just speaking things that we aren't living, then we create a contradiction within ourselves as well as those that we're trying to influence. And the Bible says a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so when you and I are saying things that our life contradicts, we are considered a divided house. Our body houses our soul and our spirit. And when our soul and our spirit are at odds or or where there's a discrepancy or a disconnect, it is a division and inevitably it will implode. We won't be able to stand up over time because there is an incoherence. There is a lack of integrity between our soul and our spirit. And so you and I, we must become the word of God. We must become living epistles. We must become living souls. Let me clarify. Let me give you an example of what I mean before I talk about the spirit of truth. A male, a male child is a son when God determines the sex in the mother's womb. However, whatever the sex is going to be, it's determined. And when that sex in the womb upon conception is determined to be a male, then that child is a son. So before he is born, he is a son. When that child is born, he is a son. And so when he is born, he didn't become a son as a result of the nine months in his mother's womb. He was a son in his mother's womb and now is a son on earth. And a healthy male child who is a son has all the capabilities of an adult male built into his framework, hardwiring. And yet he is undeveloped. He must develop. He must become a son. So he was a son, he is a son, and now he must grow to become a son. And when he grows and becomes a son, we have the, an adult version of son whom we will call a man. So here's the thing. We become a son or a daughter because the same analogy applies if you're a daughter. We become a son or a daughter through development and training. So it's not a question of whether a male child is a son, was a son, is a son when he's born, and the training and development will determine what kind of son or daughter he or she is and to whom he owes his sonship or, his, uh, or, or who, who the daughter belongs to. So what am I saying? I'm saying that a male child in utero is a son, a finished, complete work of the father. And yet, and when he's born, he is a finished, complete work of the father, and he has all the faculties of an adult male 
developed in few of them and control over none of them. And yet he must become a son through training and development. That is what is said of Jesus, that he learned how to obey God through the things that he suffered, through discipline. So whatever Jesus named himself, please understand he was and he is. But he also had to become it. The Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, which means although he was the finished work of God, he also had to become, he also had to go to finishing school. And when we skip finishing school, when we, when we, when we, when we don't pay attention to the development and training, we get toxicity. We get spirits that are separated from the soul. We get fake Christians. We get Christians who know the word of God but deny the power of it in their own life. Jesus said of the Pharisees, they draw near to me with their lips, but their whole, their inner being is far from me. Jesus had a problem with it then, and he has a problem with it now. And so what does all that mean? Here we are tonight. John 14, 6 says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know my Father. So he says three things. I am the way. He doesn't say I am a way of many ways to the Father. He says I am the way. There's only one mediator between man and God, and his name is Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. But then he goes further and says not only am I the way, I am the truth. And then he says I am the life. So the way, the truth equals life. So what I want to focus on just for the next few minutes is his other uh, words, I am the truth. Jesus was the truth before the foundation of the world. He is the truth. And in his human life, he grew into truth. He became true to the truth that he declared. Oh, my gosh. I know that's wrecking some of you guys thinking, but that's the word of God. And so as Jesus is, so must, be, so must we be. That's what the Bible says. As Jesus is in the earth, so are we. We, are the, we, we. we were with him before the foundation of the world. We fell. He came. He redeemed us. And so as a result of redemption, we are now God's truth in the earth, and yet we must become true to the truth that we decree and we declare. So how do you and I become true to the truth? Let me, let me just uh, separate out two things. One, there is the word of truth, and that's scripture. And then there is the spirit of truth. So we have the word of truth, which is the written word of truth, and then we have the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, or one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit as this he is the spirit of truth. So we can know we can we can know the word of truth, we can quote it, we can teach it and even preach it and yet it not be accompanied by the spirit of truth. He says again, we can know the word, we can declare it, we can have right doctrine, we could be on point, we could dot every I, cross every T, we could pray the scriptures, and it still not be accompanied by the spirit of truth. So we need the word of truth and the spirit of truth working together to work the greater works that God has called us to in this impending revival that we're praying and we're believing for. The word without the spirit is dead. The word without the spirit is dead. So we have some Christians who profess Christ who are speaking words without the spirit, and it's dead. And I can't tell you, I know it's happened to some of you. You've listened to someone minister or speak, and 
and you know they, it sounded right. You're reading the scripture along with them, and it and it and it reads right. They're saying the right thing. This 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 is clear, and yet there is like a um a pulling back of you, if you will, or there is a like a a hesitancy to enter into that word. It's like your spirit is restraining you from entering that word because his spirit hasn't entered that word because there is a discrepancy between what the person is saying and who they actually are or how they're living or they're be or they're um, behaving. So there are times where God will withhold His spirit, the spirit of truth, from the word of truth. Oh my gosh! I go- hope you guys are hearing this. He will withhold the spirit of truth from the word of truth because the vessel is impure. The vessel is um, is divided. So when the inside, when your spirit and your soul, when your spirit, your soul, your life, how you live are different and are antagonistic to one another, then your spirit is separated from your soul, and your spirit is in God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, and recreated in his image. So sometimes when you feel that pulling back of your spirit, even though you're hearing the right word, it's because the spirit of God, the spirit of truth, cannot enter that word because the spirit of truth enters the word of truth. The spirit of truth is married to the word of truth. So if only I have the word of truth and have not been exercised by the spirit of truth, then I'm going to have a division between my spirit and my soul. Jesus, in Jesus, the word and spirit are one. That's why Jesus had unparalleled success. And you and I's success and our ability to operate in, 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 in the miracles and signs and wonders that I'm believing for, you're believing for, the raising of the dead, which it is absolutely possible to do because Jesus did it, and he said that we could do what he did and greater works than these. But what is lacking among the people of God is we have the word in many cases, but the spirit of truth is lacking, is not connected with the word of truth because spirit connects with spirit. And when your spirit and when you're withholding yourself from this from the, the spirit of truth, again, there is a division, and it makes it difficult for God to operate through you effectively. And it gives, it, give, it gives rise to mixture. Listen to this scripture, John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So the spirit of truth is in the spirit of every born-again Christian. And let me just say this. When we were born again, our spirit was recreated. Our soul must become, must become aligned. It must conform to what has taken place in the spirit. So the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, when that scripture in Romans 12 is talking about the finishing school of God, you are a finished work, and now we are in the finishing school. John 15, 26 says, but when the comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, the standby comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth. So the Father is the spirit of truth, who comes, proceeds from the Father, he himself will testify regarding me. So how is it that Jesus could do the amazing things he did on earth? Because the Father, the Spirit of truth, was working together with Jesus, who was the Word of truth. Remember, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, so the Word and the Spirit were one. So when your Word and your Spirit are not one, or your spirit is withheld because your soul 
is is behaving and living in a way that is incompatible with the spirit of truth running uh, running and agreeing with you, then we're going to have challenges. Jesus did not have that problem. He was a man like us and yet without sin. So the spirit of truth, here's what it says in John 15, 26, the spirit of truth testifies of Jesus. I have said that we're in, in, in an hour where it's the Father's love. And what is, who, is the, who is the object of the Father's love? If I can, Jesus is not an object, but surely Jesus was, the, the, was God's love to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So his affection was for his only begotten son. And so the spirit of truth, and it comes from the Father, and he's going to talk about Jesus. So the spirit of truth talks about Jesus, testifies about the life of Jesus, testifies about the experiences of Jesus. Oh, my gosh. So I believe, again, we're in such an hour where the Father by the Holy Spirit is reintroducing his Son to his people. Why? Because in Jesus, the word of truth and the spirit of truth converge to those that engage to bring about and amplify the glory of the Father while testifying of Jesus. So here's the thing. If God is reintroducing his Son to us by the Holy Spirit, then I would expect in the days ahead, you'll hear more of God's people who catch the revelation talking about Jesus, falling in love with Jesus all over again. You know, it, it, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a return to our first love. It is, it is not that we stop working, but it is now that we are in relationship, and not just relationship, let me use the word intimacy, intimate with Jesus, such that the works and the words flow out of us because our eye is single and our whole body is full of light. And David said that God desires that we know truth, that we experience truth, that we engage truth in the soul, in our innermost being, in our soul, the part of us that is in the finishing school. See, your spirit is already complete. It's in the image of God. It is perfect. It is perfect in the image of God. It looks just like your daddy. It, it, it is in his image already. It's finished. But your soul is in finishing school. And so I expect that as God continues to reintroduce his son, as we've been speaking about Jesus here on the past three months, you will hear more and more people speaking about Jesus, who he is, and being with him, and, and dreams, and visions, and all of those things. And Jesus is going to be the central figure of it because the spirit of truth talks about Jesus. And the Father is sending the spirit of truth to testify about Jesus. John 16, 13 says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. Well, who is he going to hear from? He's going to hear from the Father. Why? Because the spirit of truth comes from the Father. Therefore, the spirit of truth is going to hear the Father and declare it to us. So here's the question. Why do you and I, why must we be guided into truth? That's what John said. He will guide you into all truth. Right now, each of us, we have a part of the truth. I don't care who you are. I don't care what position, title you hold. Each of us have a, a part of the truth. We have an aspect of God's glory that when we come together as the ecclesia, the government of God, the kingdom of God on earth, then we are displaying the manifold wisdom of God to the powers, the principalities, and the rulers of the darkness of this age. So we have a part of the truth. We need to come together so that we can have the whole truth, the whole counsel of God as expressed through the ecclesia or the body of Christ or God's government on earth. So why must we be guided into truth? Why do we need help with this thing, truth? 
Now let me just share this with you. And and you 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 may chuckle. I wish I could really see your faces sometimes because I, I really sometimes I feel like I speak and it's like a deer in a headlight, but I'm gonna keep going because I believe that 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 this is a pivotal message for the people of God in this hour. But here here's the thing. Many of us pray, and you guys know this to be true because you've heard it. <laughs> Because I've heard it. Many of us will pray and have been praying, Father, cleanse me. Make me holy. Cleanse me from any, you know, evil, wicked, any residue. We just want to be wholly yours, God. And we really earnestly desire that until a spouse, a boss, a child, a friend, a subordinate confronts us and ask us about the discrepancies in our behavior between what we say as Christian and what we do now as Christian. Here's the thing. The Bible clearly shows unequivocally that God is in the habit of using people to perform his will. Well, if his will is for you and I to be transformed, our soul to be sanctified and transformed into his image, then my guess is he's going to use people to help with that process. And he's going to use people we like, people we don't like, people we love, and people we don't like. Why? Because it will all work together for the good of them that love God and they called according to his purpose. And what is God's purpose? Is that he would have a people equally yoked to his son that he can marry his son to this particular bride. So God has one agenda. We have many. God is in the business. Right now, God is making a bride for his son. And I would tell you as last week, God is calling his people from every denomination. There is a witness of God in every Christian denomination. I don't care what we think about it, There is a witness. And I said to you last week that the, the, the denominational the denominations are a religious system, and each denomination is a subset of the religious system. That's another teaching. But what you should know is religion is not about the kingdom. It is anti-kingdom, even while professing kingdom. You could sit with that for a while. We're going to talk about this further, but now is not, not the night to do that. What I want you to understand is that in every denomination, God is not without a witness. I had an aunt, I have an aunt who's Catholic, who was Catholic, got saved, and she told me, this is a babe. She said, Kim, I believe the Lord would have me to stay here, at least for now, because there are others like me that need to hear what God did in me and through me. She stayed there a few years, and then God moved her to another church. So I just believe that God has witnesses all over places and some of the most unlikely places God has witnesses. And I'm praying that the witnesses come forth as God says that he is gathering together his people by reason of sacrifice. So God clearly shows a habit, a propensity, a desire, and even a like and even a love to use people to perform his will. And when we like the people he uses, we like when he uses people to bless us and to help us and, and to be on our team to get this thing done or, or to move something forward or anything else favorable. Oh, we love, we call it the goodness of God. Oh, look how God blessed me. Thank you so much for all you've done. But when he uses a person, again, a spouse, a child, a subordinate, a friend, a boss, to confront the contradictions in our life, we defend ourselves. We find fault with the messengers. Or we get our Christianese on and we say things like, he or she doesn't have the authority to speak in my life, into my life. I haven't given them permission to speak in my life. And what I would say to that is this. God has used, and if he chooses, can use yours, but has used my five-year-old granddaughter to confront things in me, to confront me with truth. And if God chooses to use my five-year-old granddaughter to deliver truth to me or to confront something that I'm doing that doesn't line up with truth, then God expects me to yield to the truth regardless of the fact that I am her elder. So this idea someone doesn't have the authority to speak in your life, 
That may be true, and I can understand that and see that in the case of in the case of where you're in a situation where you're being abused and you cut that person's right off to speak to you or to speak in your life a certain way. I get that. Part of that is you exercising your sovereignty, which God expects you to do as a kingdom citizen. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when God uses people, your loved one, your spouse, your boss, your child, your grandchild, your, your, your subordinate to reveal or to, um, to, to expose a discrepancy in your life to the truth or to the standard of God. And we defend ourselves, explain ourselves, find fault with the messenger, or conclude, I'm the adult here. I'm the elder here. We really miss the invitation of God. Because our positions, our titles, money, success, education, your material worth, they do not exempt you or me from hearing and obeying the truth. If Naaman, the king's chief of staff, hadn't listened to his servants after he got annoyed of having to dip in the Jordan, he said, why can't we go over here to these better waters? And his servant says, no, you, need, sir, you, need to, you might really want to consider just do what the prophet has said. Do what this person has said. And Naaman had a better idea. But it was his servants that convinced him to obey, basically saying, sir, uh, Naaman, your pride is going to get you killed with leprosy. But if you obey the truth, even though you don't like the way it came or where you found it or where you'll discover it, you'll be healed. Naaman listened to the truth and was healed. Oh, my gosh. Ephesians 3 and 4 but, you know, I've said this before, Ephesians 1 and 2 talk about sitting with the Lord, that we're seated in heavenly places, and all that's available is talking about the finished work in Ephesians 1 and 2. Ephesians 3 and 4 are talking about the finishing school. It talks about how we ought to walk and how we ought to live. Whenever you see the words, live this way, do this to one another, walk in this or that, you're in, Paul or the writer is talking about the finishing school. In Ephesians 4.15, it says, Rather let our lives lovingly express the truth in all things, speaking truly, truthfully, dealing truly, living truly, enfolded in love, let us grow up in every way and in all things into him who is head, even Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. So, why is it that we promote seeking and speaking the truth in love? You know, we say things like, "I'm just gonna, I, I'm gonna speak to you, and it, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak some truth to you, but I'm just gonna say it in love. I'm gonna speak the truth to you in love." Listen, if someone says, if someone prefaces what they're about to say, "I'm going to speak the truth to you in love," or some variation of that, then it's pretty sure that what's coming after that, and I'm not saying this is absolute, but in oftentimes, what comes after that is not love. It's not love. If someone has to say, what I'm about to tell you is in love, it's generally not in love. Why? Because when one is truly speaking to you in love, you sense it. And you may even feel it, even though everything in you may want to pull away from it. If you are a disciple of Christ, not a believer, a disciple, a believer declares, a disciple does. A believer declares, a disciple practices. And so if you are practicing the word of God, then when someone is, in, in, and when someone is speaking to you, you don't necessarily need it to be loving to hear truth in it. And if you have to announce that what you're saying or what I'm saying to you, I'm, I'm going to say this to you in love, brother. I'm going to say this to you in love, sister. It's generally because it's not love. Because when one is truly speaking in love, you don't have to announce it. You really don't. Jesus never said, I'm going to tell you the truth, Pharisees, but I'm going to speak to you in love. 
Show me where Jesus said, I'm going to speak to you in love. He was love. He is love. And when you are something, it exudes through you. The thing that God told me, he says, Kim, the more truth I reveal to you, the more gracious you must be, the more loving you must be. Even tonight, take your own test. You evaluate the spirit of what I'm saying to you. It's your responsibility to evaluate the truth of what I'm saying based on the word of God and then to evaluate the spirit of what I'm saying. So you'll know when you leave this call whether, wow, that was just, that was just hard, that was angry, or you know, there was just such compassion in what she was saying. You'll know. Nobody will have to tell you. Why? Because either I am or I'm not. And so when you're walking in love, when you're walking in truth, that's how you become a thing. You walk in it. When I walk in water, I become the water. The water becomes me. We become one. So the water now impacts me. It, it goes through my bathing suit. My bathing suit gets soaked. Yours does too. Why? Because the water has become one. I've become one with the water. That suit is the manifestation or an example of becoming one with the water. When, the, when you're in the water and your bathing suit is wet, you, still, you, you can't really separate the water from the suit. And when you're truly walking in truth and love, you can't separate the truth from the soul that's delivering it or the spirit that's delivering it. There's no announcement that's needed. So God wants a bride for his son that's true through and through, not just a talking head, not somebody who just can declare the word, but someone who is the word. Why would Jesus want to marry a bride who only can talk but cannot produce because she doesn't have the substance of God. And when we declare and decree and we lack the substance of truth, we haven't become true, our souls are not true to the truth. It's called a lie and a pretense. And there are areas in all of our lives that God wants to bring us true to the truth. Second John 1 John 1.4 says this, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth in keeping with the command we have received from my father. Oh, my gosh. Walking in truth, you become the truth. We're in an hour where just speaking truth will not be enough. Satan knows those who are speaking truth versus those who are walking in the truth that they are speaking. What we're seeing now is exposure in this nation, and increasingly we will see it in the church. And God will separate and reveal who is of him and who is not. And it won't be simply because we have the right doctrine, we can declare the word and quote scriptures. It will be because our soul has been bought to the truth. John 5 John 5, 5 through 9 says, Jesus, in this verse, it says, there was a certain man there who had suffered with deep-seated and lingering disorder for 38 years, a long time. Some of you and I, we've been suffering things for a long time. We've been, we've been believing, we've been declaring the promises of God in our lives. I know it's true for me. And when Jesus noticed him and us lying there, in some cases helpless, not victim, but truly lacking in some ability or capability or weak in an area, Jesus noticed him and he notices us, the spirit of truth notices us, knowing that he had already had been a long time in that condition. There are people in the body of Christ that have been too long in conditions. And Jesus is saying to them, as he said to this man, do you want to become well? The invalid answered, sir, I have no body when the water is moving to put me into the pool. But while I am trying to come into it myself, somebody steps down ahead of me. Jesus said, get up, pick up your bed and walk. What's the connection here? Wellness was tied to walking. The first question, see, 
the spirit of truth comes to make us whole, but we first have to ask the question, do you really want to be made whole? Because if you really want to be made whole, you have to come true to the truth. And that means you have to walk in some things that you have not walked in. I have to walk in some things that I haven't walked in before. Oh, my gosh, that's a scary proposition, but it's the word of God. Wellness is tied to walking in truth. I love it when God just heals instantly like that. But this man had a condition for 38 years, and there are people that I weep. I groan for myself and others in the body of Christ who have prayed. We've gone to the conferences. We've gone to the miracle services. We've gone to the healing services, and yet our condition uh, persist. And here in my word, I see that wellness is tied to walking in truth. So I must become one with truth in the area that God is calling for. Could it be that some of the healings and promises you and I are waiting on have more to do with our unwillingness to walk in truth? our unwillingness to bear our soul and the true condition of our soul, that we're really not all that we have professed to be, that we're not all that we are in the position that we hold, and that the title is more of a name thing than a substantive thing. We can't become true to truth unless we walk in it. There's no other way. You won't be able to pray yourself enough into truth. You won't be able to, to, to fast yourself enough into truth. You won't be able to speak, yourself, speak enough tongues to, to, to become true. And all of those things are helpful and important, but until you walk in it, you won't become it. We are the truth of God in the spheres of influence, but we must become true and true. So, i got to be honest with you as I bring this in. Becoming true is really, 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 really hard. And unfortunately, we have sold the people of God a Christianity of ease. And as a result, many in the body of Christ are not prepared for the days ahead. Second Timothy says that in the last days, many of us agree we're in the last days, hard times will come. And it goes on to say men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. I mean, it goes on. He says hard times. So if you and I have had a diet of ease, then how will we prevail in the hard times? How will we endure? Christianity is not a walk in the park. It's a walk in truth. And although truth may take us to the park, the park, is a medium, but we must walk in truth. And the terrain of truth changes. Sometimes it is a park in the grassy field that God is revealing Jesus to us. But other times it is, you know, like walking on hot sand at a beach, and it's like you can't wait to get off that sand. And other times it could feel like you're walking on rocks. The terrain changes. The goal is walk in truth regardless of the terrain that we find ourselves in or that God places us in. Truth, it's hard because it hurts. And truth, can, it can be offensive. I don't care how nice or kind or loving that that truth comes. And it's offensive because truth confronts and exposes pride. And if you and I really believe that we don't contend with pride, then we are much more naive and elementary in the things of God than we really are. So what truth does, it renders us vulnerable. And nobody likes to be vulnerable. We have all kinds of things. Don't never let them see you sweat. Fake it till you make it. All these kinds of things that we hear in the world, the church has adopted in some form or another. Truth is humbling. When you really see Jesus Christ and you really see what you're not, it is, it is a humbling experience. Nobody tell, has to tell you to be humble. When you've been exposed and made vulnerable, it is, it is humbling in itself. 
One of the beauties and I think most attractive things about Jesus is we get a chance in him to see what we could be, but we also see what we're not. And that's what relationships do for you and me. Marriage does that. It helps you to see who you are and who you're not despite who you think you are because it will challenge everything you think about yourself and everything you believe you think about God. That's, life has a way of doing that. So there are areas in your life and my life where we think more highly of ourselves or more lowly of ourselves than we ought to. But, but I, I, I can tell you this, and I know it from my own experience. My sole desire since the day I received Christ, I asked God for the spirit of wisdom and understanding. That is probably the predominant thing that I have asked God for and that I would be true to what he reveals to me, the truth that he reveals to me. Does that make me perfect? Absolutely not. This, just this morning, I had to ask Amy for forgiveness because of my attitude, because I just reared up. So it's not about perfection. It's about seeking and conforming to truth no matter who reveals it. And because when we surrender to truth, it produces a humility and a love for God and others that is unfeigned. And it's this kind of love, guys, that performs miracles, signs, and wonders. Why don't we see more signs, miracles, and wonders in the church? Why? Because we're not walking in the truth that we profess. We're falling woefully short. If we were walking in the truth that we profess, our nation would not be in the condition that it is. Because the Ecclesiastes, Ecclesia has given the responsibility of God to influence this nation according to kingdom principles and the government of God. And because we have not, the kingdom of God is not political, but we must address political things. And the reason why, in part, is because we haven't been walking in truth. We have been a compromised people. And God is saying, that I'm reintroducing my son. For he who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. I believe revival is upon us. But I also believe that those that will be given to do signs and wonders are those that are becoming true to the truth. Those that have been on the backside of the mountain, scraping and scruffing it out, allowing God to deal with them, allowing God to confront them through the people in their lives who have laid down, the, the, who have given up the blame of luxury and blaming other people for the quality of their life. Or, or when you get angry, well, if you didn't do this, I wouldn't be angry. That is not a kingdom response. Jesus never said, you made me do this. He only did what the Father told him to do. So when you and I blame other people for things that happen to us in our life, we're living beneath our kingdom responsibility, and that is, the Bible says, that all things are from God, through God, and to God. And that means even when the devil comes to you, it had to go on daddy's desk first. It had to cross his desk first. It had to cross. Let me say that again. Whatever comes to you as a born-again Christian believer kingdom citizen, please understand that whatever has confronting you has got the um, the, the, was either ordained or permitted by God to encourage or provoke you to righteousness. Oh, my gosh. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I believe that there are those listening to this message that heard your word and truly desire to become your word. Father, I ask you to take a battering ram to religion and religious spirits in the church that would seek to try and have men and souls conform to the doctrines of men. For you said the traditions of men make the word of God ineffective. And if the word of God is ineffective, then how will we become true to your truth, O oh God? So I thank you for continuing to pull back the foreskin of the heart of your people. I thank you for taking out of us the stony places and replacing them with hearts of flesh. I thank you, God. And we say yes. We want to know truth deep down in our soul. We want to know. We want your word. In Hebrews 
4.12 that says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword, and it separates the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and distinguishes our behavior from our motivations. And so, Father God, we, Lord, Lord, we come, and, Lord, we fall on your sword, God, the sword of truth. Circumcise us afresh, God. Give us a fresh hunger for you and an appetite for Jesus in him only. Increase our desire for you over food. Increase our desire for you over things. Increase our desire for you over positions and titles. Increase our desire for you, God, above every religious system and denomination, God. We seek you today, O God, and we declare, God, it is you who have delivered us from the darkness into the glorious light of your kingdom. Now grace your people who hear and receive this word tonight. Grace them, God, to walk in the truth. And, Father, we just give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. I want to read this last thing to you. It's by a man named Alan Katz, and he says this. Walking in truth is not something that just happens. Though it expresses itself so naturally and thoughtlessly, it is not attained without thought or by accident. It's intentional. Walking in truth happens just like walking itself, one step at a time, choice by choice, moment by moment, one abiding in truth or untruth is determined. Our every response determines whether our step is in truth or it is not. It would be a grave mistake to think that quoting scriptures correctly or subscribing to the right doctrines wholly constitutes walking in truth. A man may be saying all the right words, yet be contradicting his words by his insincere manner in which he says them. You hear him, and while your intellect is saying true, your spirit is saying false. It is possible to know the truth and yet not walk in it. And the truth is really in us and we in it, only to the degree that we actually walk in it. People of God, God is calling us to walk in truth, first in our own life, in Jerusalem then Judea, then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. So I just bless you, and I thank you. And Amy, you better come help me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That was good. That was deep. Um, I want to encourage anyone who has questions or comments as they're fresh on your mind to go ahead and email Kim at Kim at moreonrelationships.com. So that's just Kim at, and then her last name, more, M-O-O-R-E, on relationships.com. If you have a question, um, you can also text it to me. If not, 678-754-0867. Let me go ahead and give you the replay number as well. It is 605-475-4980, and the access code is 341-000-POUND, and tonight's reference number is 169-POUND. Okay, we got all the numbers done. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That... I think this is something to really meditate, meditate on and just see where God confirms where he's dealing with each of us, you know, where, where we have a division and the truth we believe, but where we're not walking it out. I definitely think it's something to meditate throughout the week. Mhm. Kim, I, I I mean I I absolutely agree. I, I I think it's a sobering word. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yet it, it, I, I also believe it is a word for the church today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think uh, I, there's no exemptions. And that's the thing. There's no exemptions. Our gifting does not exempt us. It really doesn't. Our, our, our materials don't exempt us. Our positions don't exempt us. Husband, you're not exempted because you're a husband. You're all the more responsible. Wife, you're not exempted because you're a wife. You're all the more responsible. Why? Because your highest calling is a, as a kingdom citizen and as the bride of Christ. And everything else flows. Every other relationship flows from that. And so you and I must get busy. We must get serious about walking in truth. You know, I had a... Um, a lady called me um, earlier today, and she said, you know, I, I was speaking, and, you know, after I said this, I felt really uncomfortable that, you know, it's just like there was a, a check, like the, the Lord was restraining me. And she called and she asked me about it and, and just felt that perhaps it could have been said differently or not said at all or however she wanted to do it. But the point is she listened to what the Spirit of God was saying, but she didn't stop there. She checked it out. She didn't assume that she, she basically employed the body, and, and God gave witness to her. But the thing that I want to say is she owned it. And there's a time coming, guys, and is now here, where we cannot wait to be found out. We must tell on ourselves in the places and spaces that God has given us to do it. It is much nicer when you come to the light on your own than when God brings you to the light or when what's done in the dark is brought to the light. It's both humbling, but it's much more, it's much less humbling, if I can say it that way, as if you come on your own. I've, I've known it both ways, and I prefer to come, I prefer to come on my own. <laughs> So my prayer is that God would give you space, place, and remember, he works through people. That's his habit. So if you think you can straighten all this out in your prayer closet, you are highly, highly mistaken. God uses people to work out our salvation. He uses people, and he will until his return. And so we're so glad that we can be here and a space and a place for you. And if you do desire to grow and walking in truth in your own life, it will have a ripple effect in every other area of uh, every other relationship you have. I promise you I have clients that will bear witness to that, that when you begin to get real with yourself and God in presence of another, it will begin to impact every other area, uh, every other relationship that you're in. And so we are happy to be a space here for that. Um, again, I, Amy gave you my email address. I answer my own emails and, um, I intend, as long as I can, to answer my own emails. If that changes, then I'll tell you I don't answer my own emails. <laughs> so, but but for, for the foreseeable future, I, I delight to answer my own emails. And if I don't get right back to you, usually I'm, I'm going to respond. And if I didn't, you can just send me a thing and just say, gentle follow-up, hey, I'm here. And don't get mad at me. Charge it to my heart, not my head, and I will take them that probably that moment, and I'll respond right then. But usually I, I, that has not had to happen because I remember you. When you email me, I remember your emails. I remember you. I remember you. And so we want to make that available. And if you want some mentoring or coaching, then you can go to morementoring.com, M-O-O-R-E, Mentoring, M-E-N-T-O-R-I-N-G, and um, you can pick up a session or a package, and I will walk in truth with you in those area of your life, in that the, the area of your life that God is calling attention to in this hour. So that's all I got, Ames. <laughs> okay, I just have one more thing. I know you, um, in prayer, had ventured off to this topic, and a couple weeks ago, there was a testimony you were going to share or share about someone or along those lines. Will we do that next week? Um, I remember the testimony. Um, if you remind me at the beginning, and I, I hate to keep putting it off, but I don't want to cheapen because the, the testimony had to do with how God works. 
and I was going to share with you um, four things that happened relative to something God had said to me. And so I don't want to cheapen it by just going on recall. Let me go back and look at my notes, but if you will remind me at the very beginning of the call next week, then I will um, share that testimony because it is a testimony about how God works with us uh, in performing his will. Okay. Well, I will hold you to that for next week. You guys heard that, guys. We'll hear about it (laughs) on our next call next week. We love you. Thank you for joining us. And God bless you. Good night.